Dora, I'm getting so excited for the Achieving Optimal Health Conference. I'm getting all of my questions ready to pick the brain of the amazing Dr. Aviva Ram, who's not only a physician, but a very experienced herbalist as well. Yes, she's so incredible. In fact, we have multiple outstanding physicians and nutritionists joining us this year. Honestly, you could spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to consult with all these physicians on a one-to-one basis, but we get to have them all in one room for an entire day. We really hope you'll join us. Visit our website, AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com to register and please invite your friends too. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Mary Firestone is a graduate of Princeton University and has an MA in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University. Her own transformative epiphanies led her, along with her sister Lucy, to found their company, Firestone Sisters, in 2012 with the aim of providing others with healing and growth opportunities. Mary is the author of a new book called Trusting the Dawn. Welcome, Mary, to Health Gig. Thank you both so much for having me. Mary, thank you for being here. We're so excited and eager to talk about your new book, which was released just last week. But let's just begin. If you could just tell us a little bit about you. I know you're in business with your sister, Lucy. And just tell us a little bit about what's going on with you right now. Right now, I'm sort of in the stage where I feel like I've just given birth to this baby, but I've been (laughs) working on this baby for three years. So it's that, you know, after the baby's born and you're like, I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can for this baby. And (laughs) so that's where I am. And really, you know, the book is all about is my offering to other trauma survivors so that they know they're not alone and so that they can find the healing that they need. So it's, you know, it's that. And I think I just keep remembering that in conversations with you all and with others. It's about raising awareness and reaching people so that they know that there's a community here for them. And the book is called Trusting the Dawn. Mm Mm-hmm. What inspired you to write the book and what significance does the title have? So what inspired me to write it, it was about a year after the mudslide and I was on a flight home from my 20th Princeton reunion. Um, And I think, you know, I'd been telling the story so much because I hadn't seen a lot of people and a lot of people were asking me and I was telling and retelling and telling. And on that flight home, I had this thought like, well, you know, yes, I had suffered PTSD. I have my master's in clinical psych. I knew that intellectually I had PTSD symptoms. And yet at the same time, there was so much more going on for me. There were so many positive things that were happening through my healing. And I think through that like rawness of um, facing one's mortality, it had opened up life for me so much. So the idea for the book was born on that flight home from uh, New Jersey to California that I really wanted other trauma survivors to know that you don't need to be cursed by this label of PTSD, 
that in fact there is beauty and light. And for me, it was even brighter than before. So that was kind of how the book, the first seed of the book, and then it took me (laughs) three years. Can you share with all of our listeners your story and what made you write this book? Because it is really something. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I have my background, as I mentioned, and my master's in clinical psych and my sister Lucy and I have had a company for a decade now where we produce and curate women's retreats. We do them all over and we bring different people that have helped us as a way to help others. So I have a background in this kind of work. And then on the night of, I think it was January 9th, it was like, was it the 8th or the 9th? Because it was four o'clock in the morning when I woke up. um, We'd been, I was living in Montecito at the time. We'd bought this 1890s farmhouse and it was beautiful. It was perfect. And We were evacuated, though, for the Thomas fires, which ravaged much of Southern California. So we literally had slept in this house. I think it was the fourth night. And they put out an evacuation order because they were calling for rain that night. But we were not in the evacuation order. So went to bed the fourth time in that bedroom in that house. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. I don't know why. I was actually pregnant at the time. So sometimes I'm like, was did it wasn't my daughter that woke me up? And because we hadn't put curtains in yet, I could see literally there was this tidal wave of mud coming at a record speed directly towards us. So I screamed and my husband at the time ran to go get our three-year-old son who was upstairs. And by the time I was trying to follow him, but the walls had crushed in and there was mud up to my waist and glass and debris. There was no way I could follow him. So I ran the other way, which was to my bathroom. And that's where I was trapped for five hours on my bathroom counter. The mud stopped like an inch below the countertop. And I watched too my two-story house, half of it get ripped off, spun around backwards and hurtle down the hill in this river of mud. And my son's bedroom was the window facing me. And I thought they were both gone because you can't, it was deafening. I thought for many hours that it was the apocalypse, seriously, that everything was gone, that everybody I knew was dead, and that I was imminently (laughs) going to be taken out. Where were your husband and children at that point? Or how did you reunite? Or what happened? So Napper, my husband at the time, he had gotten him, he had to like jump over the banister because the front door crushed in with the boulder. And my son was standing at the top of the stairs, he'd woken up. And he grabbed him and took him into the upstairs bathroom, where they were for the duration thank God. I couldn't hear them though, because a mountain (laughs) clearing and with, you know, tidal waves of, you know, rivers of mud and boulders coming down is really deafening. So I couldn't hear them for the longest time. And eventually it got quiet, like eerily quiet. And, and then I screamed again and I heard them answer me back. So I was like, that moment was 
the best moment. And then, oh no, now I'm like trapped. How am I going to get to them? Yeah. And you say in the book that they had to come back and get you because it was so bad, but then it was getting so, so bad that someone came and got you and you actually named your daughter after him. Do you want to share that story with everyone? It had actually been light, which is how I could see there was a massive gas explosion. So that's how the sky was light enough that I could see the mud in the first place. But then when the gas died down, it was dark, which is also going back to your question, Doro, the trusting the dawn. I was sitting in the dark, huddled, cold, wet in my pajamas on this countertop waiting for the dawn so that I could assess how bad it was. It also is a metaphor for when we're in the darkness after trauma to know that it will get light again. But going back to waiting for the rescue. Yeah. I, you know, sitting in the dark waiting and I would like swing. I was pregnant with my daughter, India at the time. And I would swing myself over the mud to the windowsill and look out and scream, you know, for help. And at one point, this firefighter from like several football fields away had a flashlight and I screamed like, I'm here, I'm here. And he was like, we'll be back in the morning. I was like, what? Oh. Like, you know, what do you mean? Get, like, oh. get over here. So then hours go by. And when it was dawn, I was waiting for, I saw helicopters rescuing pe- my neighbors from their roofs, the ones that had not perished. But no one, I was like, no one's seeing me. Oh my gosh, like I'm here, I'm here. And finally, a civilian named Orion Womack came like charging through the mud and waders and was like, we have to get you out of here. There's gas, there's electrical wires, there's sewage, the house could give. So he got me out and put me on the back of a firefighter who carried me out the rest of the way. And my daughter bears his name. Her name is India Orion. And he's amazing. He's met her and what a hero. And he wasn't a neighbor. He was just a good Samaritan coming around to help people. He had actually lost his father in the La Conchita mudslide. So I wonder if that drove him to want to get out there and help. How is your family doing? So after... The mudslide, you know, obviously we had all been through an intense trauma. So ever went, we found him an amazing therapist. His preschool is really wonderful. So, you know, we went to therapy with him and, and he, you know, we still, we talk about it. And especially with, you know, the book coming out, they both were in the car on the way to school and we listened to a radio interview where I was talking a little bit about what had happened and they ask questions. And I think that's the important thing is like not stuffing anything down right? and feeling okay asking the questions. And um, gosh, that was really scary. And, and we're okay. And that's not going to happen again. So they're doing great. I mean, Ever's nine. Oh India's four. <laughs> yeah. So sweet. Wow. I know in your book, you talk a lot about different modalities to help taking back your power after trauma. What are some of the things that you found were helpful? And also, if you could define the difference between PTS and trauma, what is the difference between that when someone says, oh, I have post-traumatic syndrome versus trauma? So trauma really for me, well, and I define it in the book too, it's any time that our mortality is brought (laughs) right up to us. And it can be 
our own. You can witness somebody else's or it can just be in the hearing about someone else's. The, you know, anytime that mortality is really brought to the forefront. PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, is when a trauma survivor will experience, you know, it can be a range of symptoms. But for me, I experienced nightmares, increased anxiety, um, panic attacks, sleeplessness, digestion issues. So those are symptoms of PTSD. Not everybody will be diagnosed with that, um, that experiences a trauma. But, um, you know, it's not uncommon. And I think back to Doro's question, through healing, we can move through the PTSD into the post-traumatic growth, which is really why I wanted to write the book. You you do not have to stay stuck in that trauma loop, which can happen in the brain. We get stuck in the fight-or-flight response. So everything is a potential threat. So that EMDR is a great way Doro, to to start to break those traumatic loops. Um, That can be done with a therapist. That really helped me. I was having terrible nightmares. Um, And when I wasn't getting woken up by nightmares, I was covered in poison oak because it had been in the mud. So I would wake up with like either a nightmare or, you know, poison oak. But um, so EMDR is a great place to start. I also loved cranial sacral therapy, which is just receiving. I think there's something after an intense trauma where for me, there were moments where I was like, I just don't want to talk anymore. You know, I want to just receive. So cranial sacral is where your, you know, your head is cradled in the practitioner's hands. My practitioner did kind of a light massage and then She's kind of encouraging different parts of the brain to speak with one another. She gets into it in the book. And you have a wonderful product that you use at your retreats. It takes the retreat home with you. Yeah. We developed, my sister Lucy and I developed this essential oil-based perfume called The First. And we designed it so that every ingredient in there makes you feel a certain way, not just smell good. So, you know, sandalwood for grounding, juniper for detoxifying, rose geranium calms fears, honeysuckle is like, you know, evokes our sweetness. Um, So we do, we've been selling it, we offer it on our retreats, we call it a retreat in a bottle, and as a way to kind of anchor back to that feeling, because our sense of smell is our most powerful sense, Um, and we sell it on our website. (laughs) That's awesome. The way you wrote the book was so great or is so great, how you talk about it. And then you say, this is for you. And it gets very, very practical. And both Dora and I, when we were looking at that, oh, that's so good. And it's so clear. So this is what we can do. And you really guide us through that. What do you think is, if you had to like, say your top three, you said that EMDR really worked for you? EMDR was great. I also had such a cathartic healing experience doing ketamine therapy. 
Yeah. Tell us about that. We've heard so much about it and have known several people that have done it and have had huge success. I was raised in the 80s with, you know, the Nancy Reagan, <laughs> just say no to drugs. And I, you know, was such a goody two shoes in that respect my entire life. And in the course of my healing, I kept hearing too about ketamine therapy. And I wound up meeting in Santa Barbara at lunch one day, this amazing woman who was like, you've got to meet my husband, Dr. Jeff Becker. He changed my life. So we did the ketamine therapy. So ketamine is the gentlest, but the strongest psychedelic. They actually, it's legal in this country, and they use it as an anesthetic at much higher doses for children, actually, in hospitals. The reason we used it, and it's really effective for trauma survivors, or if someone is experiencing suicidal, suicidal ideation, <laughs> that's a tongue twister, which I wasn't, but it's really effective for that too. It just takes you, it shuts off. Dr. Becker explained, if you picture your brain, and usually when we're completely cognizant, it's like maybe only the cheerleaders and the jocks talk to each other. But when we quiet those parts of the brain, we allow for everybody to talk to everybody. So now it's the band is talking and the debate team is talking to the cheerleaders are talking to everybody's talking, which I love and also helps with the trauma and the memory of the traumatic event. In a way, it almost like he kept just saying this and I'm, I'm like, it's right. It's like depersonalizes it. You get a little distance from it. And it's almost like I was watching the mudslide. I was watching another traumatic event. I was seeing it, but almost as a, at a distance. And it felt, you know, I had this image of the mountains of Montecito. And I was almost watching from over the Pacific. But I was warm and I was safe. And it looked like a Renaissance oil painting. And it was like... <laughs> It sounds trippy, but again, it's a psychedelic. And there were like these angels pouring this golden mud down the mountain. And at the same time, I saw like these beams of light coming up that were the people that lost their lives that day. And it was this feeling for me like, oh, this was just a force of nature. It was, there's nothing personal. There's nothing, which of course we know that, but there's some some place in our subconscious, I think. For me, it was really healing. Wow. Yeah. And, and as you said, it's legal and it's available, right? That's something people can have and then also have support around, right? Yeah, they can do that. And I would, I would recommend because they, these like ketamine bars are like popping up. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're interested in doing this kind of work, I would really recommend working with a psychiatrist. The prep and then the follow-up is really important and the integration. So those two, EMDR, ketamine, and then also I'm, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I can't afford ketamine or I, what's something I can do? Meditation is a really powerful tool as well, which is becoming much more mainstream. There's tons of apps and um, programs and teachers. So that is another way too to kind of get under into the subconscious where I think a lot of is stored. Can I ask you a question about you had the childhood trauma as well as the mudslide traumas? 
did the childhood trauma stay sort of in a place until the mudslides happened and then you had to address both? What happened with that? Yeah, that's such a good question. I had these three instances of sexual abuse in my childhood and I love my parents. They are great parents and they're super intelligent and on it. And yet, I don't know if it was the era, but I never was brought to therapy to to work on those events. It wasn't until I my freshman year at Princeton, they offered free counseling. And I marched myself into the counseling center and began my own healing journey. Throughout my 20s and 30s, I always had a therapist. And then when I moved to California, that's really when like the whole this world of like alternative healing and energy healing and Reiki and opened up to me. So I, you know, started working on myself and also in the retreats, like bringing it to other people. So there was a level of healing that had happened for me around those events. And then, yeah, I think Dora, like it brought it in, you know, in the ketamine, the mudslide came up, but then also the seven-year-old experience came up too. And so there, I realized that there were, I had stored, you know, memories that, that could use a little more healing. So through the ketamine, and then also I did MDMA therapy, um, and that brought another wave of healing to those childhood events where I realized in the ketamine, like just as the mudslide was in active nature, I had a realization that what was moving through those men was a force of nature, and I just happened to be in their path. So for me, that was really healing because I think with sexual abuse in particular, we can it can feel so personal. And the rec- the realization that I had in that MDMA therapy was it really wasn't. It was I just happened to be in their path. So. I think the healing goes on, you know, it's like, we, I'm like, <laughs> what is MDMA? MDMA is also known as ecstasy or Molly. It is not a psychedelic. It has a very long, it's like methyl, a bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so MDMA is that, that's what I thought. Okay. So you did the ketamine, the MDMA, uh-huh. and then, and you found those to be really, really helpful. And we should, MDMA is not yet legal in the United States. They're saying that it's going to be in hopefully next year for trauma survivors and and in use like this. Did you think of any of sort of the psilocybin, the mushrooms, or did you you have any experience with all of that? Yes, that is like definitely, I feel like everyone's talking about microdosing and all of that. I did not use that in any It wasn't part of a treatment. No, I mean, I became curious about it after I had such a good experience with, you know, the ketamine. Right. um, Yeah, no, I didn't use it in that way. But I know Michael Pollan, I think his whole, that book is all about. Yeah, it is like change your mind. And he actually has another one that I have in the other room that just got on um, your mind on plants. And it's pretty interesting. And he talks about, you know, how caffeine is a plant, you know, and our mind on that and our mind on morphine and that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's really interesting. So so then as the alternatives, you just sort of use them all as different modalities then, right? So you did your ketamine, you did the MDMA, and at the same time, you did the EMDR, or do you do it like, I do this, I do this, and then integrate it? 
Yeah, that's also a really good question and that I want people to be clear on. No, I didn't do it all at once because right. I think then you would overwhelm yourself and your nervous system. So this was, you know, a process of three years of trying different things and, you know, going one at a time. And and I emphasize that in the book that certain modalities might be right at different times in your healing. And also if someone tries something and it's like, whoa, this is way too much or then, okay, maybe it's not the right treatment period or also maybe it's just not the right treatment at that time. And it's something to be revisited when you're farther along in the journey. Did you, while you're doing this and after the trauma and during the trauma, do you have a sense of your soul? Yeah. So I've always been, I was raised, I went to National Cathedral School for Girls. So did I. Really? <laughs> you're you're way younger, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it, alums. And I went to Episcopal Church and Christian camp. I was raised with that in the background. And then I think when I got older and again moving to California and being being exposed to different religions, now I would say I'm more spiritual. So I've always had that. The night of the mudslide without a doubt, there was a presence with me that was loving, that kept me safe. There are like dozens of reasons why I should not still be here and why my family should not still be here. So that to me, I was like, there was a divine presence with me that woke me up, that got me safe, that kept, you know, all the different things. So, and even as I was sitting there in the dark, I was praying and I felt there was a, like some kind of veil to another dimension was open to me. And I had glimpses of something much bigger than this reality. So I was a believer before and after that night. For me, I'm sure of it. And also that's why these the psychedelic experiences are so enriching for me because it again was like, there's so much more going on than just our three-dimensional reality. And with both of those experiences, it was like, whoa, this is available. This is here all the time, but we're not accessing it. So it was really exciting. And I definitely believe in spirit. And so I also did past life regression therapy, which was really interesting. Yeah. How did that go for you? It's really powerful. Nikki Cosmo, she's based in Malibu, but we did it over Zoom. So anyone could do it. And she hypnotizes you. And I think we all, I'm like, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. Well, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this really strong image. I knew, first I thought, I well, I knew I was a knight. <laughs> and I thought I was a man because I, you know, mostly the knights in my knowledge are men. But I realized, no, no, I'm a woman. And I had this long braid and um, I was out on the battlefield and I had this strong sense that I was fighting for something really important that was good. And that theme kind of kept coming up for me in different sessions too of kind of of being killed for doing healing work or fighting for good. And they actually even call it the witch wound, I think. <laughs> One woman I was like, I think I was like a healer in a past life and I got killed for it. She's like, oh, it's the witch wound. Oh. So... <laughs> Now I, I wear a bracelet most of the time that says they can't burn us all. Because uh, I, you know, because okay. I'm a good witch. And <laughs> the image that comes up in my head is like Guinevere and Sir Lancelot. You're Guinevere. 
I love it, Dora. Maybe I was going to I think maybe <laughs> she was beautiful and blonde like you. Back to the mudslides and the spirit and soul question. Because you lived, you survived it. Do you feel survivor's guilt or anything along those lines? One of my good friends lost his mom that night and um, she was a neighbor. And so we've talked and yeah, I think, I don't know if I feel guilt, but I feel again that all of my what ifs wound up with everyone I loved surviving and his what ifs wound up with his mother not being here anymore. So I don't know if I, I don't feel guilt, but I feel a duty almost to, not duty, but inspired to want to offer. I think that's a lot of what the book is about is wanting to offer healing and hope and love and support to people that need it. I had an experience with a shaman in the Arizona desert because at that time I was terrified that everything was going to kill me. You know, I was going to die at any minute, that every time it rained, I was going to be taken out, that a tree was going to fall. I mean, everything was a potential death threat. And he said to me, do you think that you survived all that to be taken out now? No, like you survived because you have to do this work. Like you're meant to go out and help other people through their dark nights of the soul, so to speak. So that's how I'm really channeling it that way. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. I know, Doro, you talk about your father when he was shot down. Yeah. His, yeah. And I think that's probably what you were thinking about, right? Because he, he was shot down in World War II and he survived it, but the other two guys did not. And I think he spent a lifetime wondering why he survived and the others didn't. But he also, like you, turned his life into good and serving and giving back. So it makes sense to me, your perspective on it. What's your perspective on aging now? Mm. Did that change? <laughs> yeah, I would say it did. I'm 45 now. And we hear everyone being like, oh, another year older. Like, oh, and I'm like, wait a minute. It's a privilege and a joy to be another year older. And I think it also made me realize too that and I say this in the book, like now is the only guarantee. So, so many of us and myself included can get caught in, oh, I'll do it, you know, like when the kids are older, when I have more money or when I, whatever though, when I, and it's like, mm, are you enjoying your life right now? Because <laughs> now is the only guarantee. I would say it's made me a little bit more in the moment, really conscious of who I'm spending my time with, you know, friendships, relationships how I'm showing up in those relationships, going on the trips that I want to go on now when I can, like doing all those things that maybe we put off. I would think for you, living in the moment means a whole lot. Yeah. Who are your mentors? You're young. We have almost 20 years on you. Don't look it. So I need your tips, please. <laughs> Who are your mentors in life? I have... A lot of people that have helped me along the way and guided me. I would say Dr. Jennifer Freed, who's in my book. She's a psychological astrologer. I love her. We've worked together. She's also just been a great friend to me. So she's one for sure. Another woman who I've just met over Zoom, I interviewed her for the book, 
Dr. Edith Eager. <gasps> she it's a choice. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Near, we know obviously her work, you know. <laughs> so the choice. She's written two books: The Choice and The Gift. And she's a Holocaust survivor, and she's had this thriving practice in La Jolla for decades. She's in her 90s now. I listened to her book on Audible, and her voice is at the beginning. Amazing. Yeah. She's so incredible. And I think I posted something on Instagram because I was so, you know, inspired by her. And one of our other friends was like, well, you know that that's Lindsay's grandmother from, you know, college. And I was like, I did not know. (laughs) So we were connected and I had the absolute privilege of getting to interview her for the book and just have a real heart to heart. And I think she's someone, you know, because a lot of people ask me this question, well, you know, well, my trauma, maybe it's not that bad. Or And she said, Trauma, there's no hierarchy in trauma. Everyone's trauma is the worst because it happened to them, which I I really like that because then that gives people permission to find their healing, do their work, n- name it as such. It's, it's a trauma. So um, she also says that was something I love, that we will all be victimized in life. That's just part of the human experience. But our choice is do we stay in victimhood or do we move through it? Uh, so you I say really, that in the books so well. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. She's really, so she's a hero of mine. Um, Joe Dispenza is amazing. He's a meditation teacher. And he actually, doing his work, he says, when you start to do the work, your life may look like chaos. But it's just different, you know, things that are not in alignment with you anymore will fall away. And your life will become even more beautiful and dynamic. And that definitely happened for me with his work. So fun for you to have all access to these amazing people that, as you say, are great mentors and great teachers. But your sister, tell us about your sister. (laughs) Lucy. Yeah, Lucy is two years younger than me, although everybody thinks that we're twins all the time. (laughs) We look, look and sound very similar. She has been the longest love relationship of my life. (laughs) I know you said that in the book, which is so sweet. Yeah, (laughs) we really, we've always been extremely close. I feel like we've only lived apart maybe like two years of our lives. She lives around the corner from me and we have our business together. We're best friends. We're raising our kids together. And um, yeah, she definitely inspires me. And I don't mentor but you know should we work we do it together yeah yeah Yeah. you do it together she's like my sounding board and we always say like a sister no one will tell you quite like a sister (laughs) (laughs) that raw honesty (laughs) oh that's so great gosh incredible with this book really thank you so much for sharing this mary thank you for it very much. And all the amazing people that you spoke to, like I'm now wanting to go to do the past life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Nikki's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mary, thank you. And we hope everyone will run out there and by trusting the dawn because there's so much in it that's going to help us. So thank you. Thank you for joining us on HealthGig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.